Here's a fun fact, kids. Since Y2K didn't destroy all the computers, the character Hellboy has had more solo films than Superman. That might be why this one failed. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is really our official 25th episode. The uh, Comic-Con interlude does not necessarily count. And we are going to talk about Hellboy 2019. I am here with Captain Cash. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. And, uh, yeah, we uh, fresh off the con. We're, we're doing some comic book-themed movies. We started with this one. This was basically the biggest flop of the summer. Uh, well, came out in april but yeah yeah and for good reason i mean it's not it's not a particularly good film it didn't uh, dark phoenix bomb harder than this yeah i would say that did because that costs way more uh but we'll get into uh, okay. the specifics in a minute uh for those who haven't seen hellboy uh description this is now available to rent on all major major streaming pat- platforms or if you're flying across the country you can watch it on delta which is what i sure did Saved me a buttload of money. That actually might be better for the movie because the CGI in HD suffers heavily. <laughs> so, after years of hiding from a society that shuns him, Hellboy and his team attempt to stop the resurrection of an ancient winch who once spread an unstoppable plague before she was locked away by the legendary King Arthur. Now, uh, that is sort of the intro of the movie, her unstoppable plague, which lasted, I think, for all of three and a half seconds before he chopped her head off. But Which, let the record show, the narration says, with a single stroke of his sword, while King Arthur swings twice, cuts off her hand and cuts off her head. And I'm like, uh, uh, come on. Yeah, after the intro, after this brief like flashback, I thought this movie was in a lot of trouble. Uh, because the... Which, flash- to be fair, it was. Yeah, the flashback is just so blatantly green-screened. It just looked awful. It looked cheap. It looked like your local high school's production of the story of King Arthur. Except with Mia Jovovich. It's not... I would have liked to have gone to that high school. Yeah, probably dramatically more interesting, but... Yeah. So I can feel better about this whole uh, movie and just in general. Uh, Let's talk about the beer. We're going to be drinking the Helltown Mischievous Brown Ale. It's a 5.5 ABV, so nothing too intense. Just enough to kind of take the edge off, which this movie needs several edges removed, like Hellboy's horns. All right. Constant, constantly rubbing down those edges. So we heard the actual description. Uh, What would your description be in one sentence of this film, Captain Cash? My one sentence for this film is, did you like the Amazing Spider-Man movies? Have I got a reboot for you? Technically two sentences, but I don't care. Uh, I'll take that because it is like, hey, Hellboy's back and he's edgier. What do you think? Oh, God. So mine, uh, 
Now, here's your dad joke of the pod coming up. It was a fantastical comic book splatterfest on DGH. DGH is short for demon growth hormone. It's like human growth hormone, <laughs> but for oh. demons. Dad jokes. But for coming demons. at you. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, so brief background. Uh, who is Hellboy, Captain Cash? Hellboy is a character that actually debuted in the San Diego Comic Con's art packet or whatever they sent out uh, by Mike Mignola. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's been a long-running character. I think they just recently ended the official run sometime in the last couple years. And uh, kind of a, a mainstay for indie comics, primarily in Dark Horse. And then obviously it had its uh, big set of movies in 2004 and I think 2007 with Hellboy and then Hellboy the Golden Army. Uh, these are not those. <laughs> yeah, quick quick question about that because now Hellboy 1 follows very closely the first Hellboy book. Kind of. It's the Destruction Seed or whatever. This movie seems to borrow from like 16 books. And there's so much in this It movie. really does. Uh, and I think that's what killed it for me because I actually was enjoying this movie for about an hour. I was like, oh, this isn't good, but at least it's dumb fun. And then the second hour rolls around and it just plummets into just mediocrity. Yeah, so it's parts the Blood Queen, it's parts the Wild Hunt, it's parts the Seed of Destruction, it's parts, it's just, if you want overstuffed, this movie is that, man. This movie makes Aquaman look like a well-paced film. And I liked Aquaman. Uh, you liked Aquaman. But there's no denying Yeah, that. Aquaman was dumb and fun, and I had an enjoyable time. There's just way too much in Aquaman. It's Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. It's two movies at the very least. This is the anti-Hobbit. Whereas The Hobbit should have been one movie, this probably should have been three movies. That's how much is in it. Or it could have been a series. And I think it would have worked way better. Yeah, I don't know if I could have stood six hours of this. Oh, no. I mean, I couldn't take six hours of The Hobbit, so. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, as far as the, the story itself goes, you get kind of, you know, backstory on literally every character that gets introduced that just isn't necessary. Like, you get introduced to to Kate, and then they do her backstory of, how she's connected to the fairy realm and somehow she's got ghost punches. And then they spend the entire time winking at what agent Daimyo's thing is where he's like, Oh, he really dislikes the spirit creatures, but whenever he gets a little bit antsy, he's got to inject himself with something. It's kind of like, where do you think this is going? It spoilers. It's going exactly where you think it's going. Remember that time uh, agent Daimyo was in the predator. His entire <laughs> intro is the predator. <laughs> We found out we were the ones being hunted. It's like, you got to yeah. be kidding me. Uh, and they do it for Hellboy, which we've already seen. They give it for uh, Amelia Jovovich, who plays, is it Nimue? Nimue. Nimue. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly correctly. I think but in Nimue. any case, yeah, they give it to the Gruick. And I just, it's just, it's, it's over explained. It's one of these movies that I, I think the opposite where it's it's the anti-Hobbit in that you could have cut out a good 30 minutes of this movie and not missed a thing. It is There's things in this movie that happen, uh, particularly with Baba Yaga, that just never come back. That It's like, why did this scene happen? 
uh, she makes it like a specific threat to him, and I don't want to spoil the entire movie, but then that never comes back. It's me- it's utterly meaningless. Uh, that's that's them doing. Oh, we're gonna do the Hellboy universe. Yeah, it was. Uh, Bobby Yaga looked awesome though, and I'll, I'll talk Bobby about Bobby Yaga was uh, super creepy. Although John Wick is significantly more handsome than this Bobby Yaga. <laughs> So this was 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. With Deserved. With two, 200 reviews. Now, I got in a little hot water with some, some people about reviews, about universes. So I'll talk about the audience score. It wasn't good either. It's 55%. See on Cinema Score. Yeah. Which is... Mm. Generous. So cinema Score is... A C is really low for Cinema Score, though, which is basically people leave the movie. They say, hey, what would you think? Give it a score. So very rarely does a movie get below a C. Like a C is bad. I I think uh, Heredit- Hereditary got an F, and that movie got great reviews. So it's really like someone's, they haven't had any time to digest the movie. They just tap a button, uh. like, that's what I think. So C is pretty low. Uh, grossed only $40 million worldwide. Only cost $50 million, so you're right. Dark Phoenix is a significantly bigger bomb. Uh, because advertising and everything else. Um, if you factor in, they basically rebooted Del Toro's movies because those weren't considered profitable. But Hellboy grossed 99 plus million. Hellboy 2 grossed 164 million or 160.4 wow. million. So not crushing the box office, but there was no appetite for this. And as I said in the intro. Right, there's something wrong if we've had three Hellboy solo films and two Superman solo films since the year 2000. One of those two is the biggest comic book character of all time. So, and the other one is Superman. Yeah. <laughs> so, a little bit of an issue. But I think that's kind of the frightening stage. I know like comic book movies are still doing crazy business and Spider-Man just crossed a billion and games the highest grossing movie of all time but we've reached peak market saturation to the point where studios are rebooting properties because they don't have any other properties to make which is nuts because there's a ton of great comic books out there they haven't touched and for what it's worth the hellboy comics are very good yeah i like but the problem is uh, this feels like another one of those movies like dark phoenix did where they were like ah comic book movies are real important it just we got the rights to Hellboy. Just put something up there. And, like, you feel bad, too, because it, the the title character is played by David Harbour of Stranger Things. And David Harbour is legitimately a good actor. Yes. And he's pretty good in this. But And you can tell the dude is working overtime. But he is just – he alone cannot save this thing. No. And I- it doesn't – like, it doesn't help he's under, like, 40 pounds of prosthetic makeup with false eyebrow or a false brow, a false jaw. I think the only thing that might be real is his nose. And I'm like, it's got to be hard to emote under all of that, to say nothing of the fact this thing leans so hard into dark and edgy without having any idea of what that means. Like this movie, it's oh, it's hard R, but it's like a child's idea or a 13-year-old's idea of what R should be. So there's all this blood and gore and unnecessary violence that isn't scary or interesting. It's just kind of gross. Like it's nothing you haven't seen before. And I'm kind of like, 
Uh, all right. <laughs> cool. It's gore for the sake of gore because it's like, hey, look at, look at this. Look at this over here. Don't pay attention to the fact that there's zero character beats that are worth exploring in this entire movie. But wow, we this guy just ripped his uh, bebop just ripped this guy's face off. Oh, I know. And the whole like Baba Yaga has a room full of slaughtered children. I'm like Ugh. that one. Uh, that pushed the envelope a little too far in the in the yeah. wrong direction for me. I'm like, who is this for, guys? Come on. Yeah, and I mean. Honestly, if you if you're gonna gamble on making an R-rated movie nowadays, very rarely is it is it something that's not a proven commodity that's gonna make a ton of money. So to say, like you know, Hellboy did okay in PG-13. Let's make it R. Where's the audience for the R Hellboy? And you know, say what you will about the Del Toro movies, and I like them, especially for the practical effects, which. In this movie, the practical, oh, sure. practical effects are actually very good. It's actually all the CGI that is just miserable. Um, actually, I, I will say the CGI that is not miserable. The Gruick is pretty good. Yeah. The uh, the pig monster. Yeah, B. That, that's cool the looking. one thing. <laughs> it is the best Bebop we have yet got on camera. He actually goes full Bebop at, at one point. So he starts his like true. halfway through his mutation Bebop. Half a Bebop. But uh, the Del Toro movies were all about character, especially the relationship between uh, Hellboy, his compatriots, and Professor Broom. The relationship between Hellboy, David Harbour, who, as you said, I actually thought he was really good in this as well, and Ian McShane, who plays Professor Broom, is non-existent. And I get, like, it's a different take on Professor Broom, but if you never believe he actually cares for this character that makes it sort of tough. Yeah, and especially when you have the the Del Toro movie to compare it to where Professor Broom was played by um who was it? John Hurt. Yes. Where it's this kindly old man that you can believe saw a demon come to earth and his immediate reaction was not we have to murder it. It was it's just it's just a little boy. I have to take care of it. Yeah. I have to nurture it. And their their father son relationship, which is a huge plot point in this film, just never feels earned. And Ian McShane, like I love McShane, and his turn as Al Swearingen, you know he's a good actor. But man, he is just so miscast here, and he he comes off constantly as you know. And it, part of it is supposed to be that you're not really sure does. Does Professor Room really care about Hellboy, or did he just make Hellboy to be a weapon, and all of that? And and the problem is they say that stuff out loud, and you just you just don't ever believe that Professor Broom actually cared no. until uh, hey, hey everybody spoilers I'm gonna spoil this movie for you uh, Professor Broom dies like he does in every fucking movie he's in, but <laughs> Professor Broom dies. And then comes back completely unearned and then just says what the logical end to his character was, which is, I'm proud of you, son. You did the right thing. Yeah. Thumbs up. Except in doing that, he totally emasculates him, tells him to stop being such a crybaby. And it's like, Ugh. 
is like, do we really need this awful CGI effect for, for this to happen? Oh, yeah, to say nothing of that stupid CGI effect. So one of the characters early on, Kate, uh, has the is she's a medium, and that has part to do with how the fairies kidnapped her as a baby and replaced her with the Gruick, the Bebop character, and now she can commune with the spirits. But for some reason, whenever the spirits speak through her, she basically vomits up what looks like a poo version of that character. Of the genie from is, Aladdin. Yes, that is still connected to her through her mouth, which can then talk. And it's just... Ugh, as an... Like... I, I get they were going for gross and weird, and I feel like there's room for that kind of thing, but it was just a wrong kind of gross and weird. I don't know. On the scale of poor special effects in the movie... Uh, Baby David Harbour being probably the worst. That's a cl- that's a close second. Poo broom is no good. Yeah. Genie Genie Swearingen is not good, and for some reason he comes back shirtless. Like the woman ghost comes back in the same outfit she's wearing when she dies. Genie Swearingen is just shirtless. It's like he went to the afterlife and is like fuck it now I can be nude. This is what I've always wanted. <laughs> Can't can't be weird. I'm a ghost. It's fine. Yeah, don't worry about it, guys. You know, I, and I complain about this movie. There are fun parts. The giant hunt is kind of neat, um, where Hellboy is getting pinballed around a little bit, and that that seems more like classic Hellboy. Uh, you know, like so. I don't. I don't. It's funny that you bring that up because I did want to ask you what you enjoyed because you know we're on kind of a run here of movies we didn't really like. And I think it is important to say, you know, like, hey, this movie may not have worked for me, but I did enjoy such and such about it. And the the giant hunt was one of the things for me. It really felt like a video game boss fight. It felt to scale. Yeah, a little like, bit. He felt small. Uh, I thought it, it looked pretty pretty slick in terms of, I mean, because as I said, there's some shoddy looking stuff in here. That scene I liked. And... He felt like a badass. The gore felt necessary. Because there's times where it's just totally unnecessary. And then there's times where he's fighting for his life and he kills these things in pretty cool ways. Yeah. What else did you like about this? Because there's, I mean, there's a mic drop character in this movie. Oh, you mean the Lobster Johnson? Legendary Nazi hunter Lobster Johnson, played by one Thomas Hayden Church. Who, Sandman, making a comeback. Somewhere in the multiverse, there's a movie just about him, and that's the movie I want to see. I, I would have watched a movie about Lobster Johnson. Oh my god, for sure. Team him up with Bucky and Captain America in World War II, and he's like the rogue agent. They're like, dude, that guy's crazy. <laughs> Keeps branding people. <laughs> just branding Nazis with a claw. <laughs> yeah, with a lobster claw. I mean, hell, you could throw him into Inglorious Bastards fits right in he, he's the unofficial seventh bastard yeah another another thing for me i know most of the character beats really didn't work but i liked that hellboy understood that he was sort of committing you know, he was committing genocide against his own kind and that began to wear on him uh, of course then that goes immediately out the window and the, the movie just kind of falls off the rails in multiple ways like every time you think maybe it's going to turn it back around it's like all right well now let's resurrect merlin and now let's do this and now it's like oh jesus it just doesn't know when to stop Milia jovovich does a great job i feel like she's the only one who knows what movie she's really in 
she hammed it up. And she's yeah, yeah. She's like, look, look, I'm the blood queen. We're not gonna do subtlety. You're you're gonna get me at eleven. Here you go. And I, for, to her credit, it, she works the best out of everybody. <laughs> David Harbour is a close second, but she nails it. She, I liked. Uh, I keep, you know, I can't remember the name of the big guy, but uh, Bebop, who's, the who's played by yeah. uh, Al Capone from Boardwalk Empire. I forget the guy's name. Oh, well, I have no idea. Neil Neil Graham, maybe. Uh, he's a good actor. If you ever seen This Is Britain, uh, he's a white. He's basically a white supremacist in a neo-Nazi gang in Britain. That's probably his best role. Yeah. Obviously, he's in Snatch. It's Tommy. Uh, so that guy, he's been around, and you know, he for having a role where it's all voice, he did did a pretty good job. And Bobby Yaga was creepy as hell. Wait, wait. So, so the Gruick, the the voice of the Gruick, was the sidekick to uh, Jason Statham in Snatch. Yeah, Tommy. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. All right, cool. You know, he's he's been in he's a lot around. of things. You, you'll definitely recognize him if you see a picture of him. Obviously, you won't recognize yeah. him as giant pig. But oh boy, uh, what else? Yeah, I mean, Baba Yaga was super creepy. That I, was that creepy. was well done. Well, that's another thing. It's like, who are you gonna get to see this? It's it's gonna be adults, because you can't. I would never put that on for a kid. No, it's the Deadpool problem. The only people who would really appreciate this are people who are about two years too young to see a rated R movie. Yeah, no, they didn't show up either, I guess, so. Yeah, well, at least Dead, Deadpool appealed to my immature side and I thought was funny. Yeah. This was kind of like, if I was 15 and I'd watch it, it was like, oh, man, look at all this gore. But, like, the Evil Dead movies and Army of Darkness do that, too, where they kind of walk the line between horror and comedy. None of the jokes landed here was the problem. Like, one or two, maybe, but for the most part, like the sense of fun that you need to pull that off it's sort of it just absent. wasn't yeah. here yeah uh i love the bummer uh, i love the last fight so giant fight the last fight which basically rolls into the credits is it's amazing they have this such this such awesomely crafted sequence at the end of the movie mm. and then everything in between like the hour before that is like just a mess i was like where was this for the last hour and then they have a really cool after-credit stinger as well. I got a couple after-credit stingers. Yeah. So you get the stinger where so you get the Abe Sapien reveal, which if you're not familiar with the comics, Abe Sapien is arguably the second or third most important character to the Hellboy mythos. It's the the fish man, basically. David Hyde Pierce. Uh, it's Doug Jones. Fuck you. Well, he's in the suit. And he does the voice in this, in the second one. And he does the voice in all the animated, animated Hellboy movies, which are really good. Maybe you remember him from uh, his spinoff, The Shape of Water. <laughs> so <laughs> he really, I, I choose as directed by Guillermo del Toro. I choose to believe that The Shape of Water was a Hellboy prequel. Uh, one thing I do want to get into, and I don't think this movie was ever destined for success. But I had, I had mentioned to you that The Wrap put out an article literally two days before this movie came out, at least in my uh, research. The article said April 10th. The movie came out April 12th. 
Two days before the movie comes out, The Wrap publishes this article that is just detailing all the onset issues behind the scenes of Hellboy. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll attach it to our Twitter at Hops and Bio Flops, but it is... I'd like to see one that's a little more in-depth, but for, for it to come out before the movie premiered, it's really damning. Yeah, so some of the stuff in the article are like... The editor, or what is it, the the director's cinematographer. So Neil Marshall has always worked with one particular cinematographer that was fired supposedly to send a message to Neil Marshall to say, hey, you're replaceable. There was tension between, I guess, Harbor, where, where he would refuse to do additional takes. And at one point, David Harbor and Ian McShane were rewriting parts of the the movie and it's like some something happened here it sounded very much like what i had read about uh, x-men origins wolverine at the time where they were rewriting every day the director's job was never secure and always in peril depending mm-hmm. on how the producers were feeling uh according to the article this film had 16 producers which i looked it up and not all that high, but for a $50 million movie, that seems high. Like, that's too many cooks in the kitchen. And you're not going to get the best product if everybody can't agree. I mean, there's a, there's like a little uh, anecdote in this article about how the director wanted the tree to look one way. And the producers oh. wanted the tree to look another way. And they fought about this stupid tree apparently to the point of near like just blowing the whole thing up it's a tree it's it's a small piece of the set that these guys couldn't agree on i feel terrible for the director because uh, the cinematographer thing is astounding like this is his collaborator you fire this guy and then he's essentially like he's really a lame duck director he's there he's shooting the movie but you're giving the actors different commands when it you know depending on the scene like that would be just a hellacious work environment pardon the pun uh yeah not not good and it it's funny because you know when we talk about these things even in the movies that we like it it's kind of obvious after having done this for what is this the 25th we said this is officially the 25th episode officially the 25th after 25 of these, it, it becomes clear why certain things fail. And very rarely is it that the director had this pure auteur vision that the world just wasn't ready for. And much more regularly, it's no one could agree on what this movie should have been. <laughs> so so it just went completely bonkers. Uh, and that's just that's what seems to have happened here, where it, there wasn't... There wasn't one vision. There were multiple visions, and you know, there was no trust. And it just kind of blew up. At the end of the day, the studios own the rights to the property. They have creative control. Uh, in the past, I guess, we live in this day and age where everything is transparent. You're going to find out if there's problems one way or another. Just It just happens. So you hear about this stuff constantly. Justice League comes out. Two months later, you hear, oh, well, guess what? He didn't step away. They fired him. 
It's like, oh, well, that's crazy. BVS comes out, doesn't live up to expectations. By the way, a movie that makes $170 million, that's considered not living up, up to expectations. And then they find out, like, oh, they cut 30 minutes out of it. And they're like, oh, we'll put it back in now. This stuff has always been happening. And just recently is now we're hearing about it all the time because there's sites. I mean, sites are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got a story they want to tell or sell. And it just, you find out about it, so. Drama drives the clicks, man. Yeah. What did uh, Kelsey Grammer, who... This is a name drop, but when we were leaving the IMDb boat at Comic-Con, they started roping off this aisleway for the next wave of interviews, and Dr. Fraser Crane walks right by me. <laughs> I, I think you mean Dr. Henry McCoy. I was uh, far more excited than I probably should have been for Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> but as he once said in 15 minutes, if it bleeds, it leads, right? If you've got something that's damning to a movie or that's overtly negative... People are going to read that far more than they're going to be, oh, everything on the set's great. It's all sunshine yeah. and rainbows over there. That's not a story. It's just not, yeah. I mean, that's why people are still writing about Zack Snyder and however he may or may not have failed the DC Universe. I don't think particularly highly of his take, but that's a whole other story. I think, you know, I think the studio knew what they had on their hands was not that good. To the point where they didn't even let critics screen it until, what, the day it was released? Oh, Hellboy? Yeah. Yeah, so this was never going to be a great movie. There's not cult in this at all. If, you know, if you're 13 years old and, you know, you're into splatter films, maybe you'll like this. But everybody else, uh, I don't know. Final verdict, though, for me, this is at least three beers maybe four yeah i'd say that's pretty close um once the first hour you might be like like i don't have to be oh yeah this isn't so bad yeah the first hour i can get away with a beer and a half yeah they led me astray this is pretty good and then all of a sudden you're like oh oh no by the time i get the third backstory i'm like oh okay let's crack a few more of yeah these. you let's might be shotgunning them by about an hour and a half in wondering when this <laughs> this nightmare is gonna end i get literally i mean it throws in so many superfluous plot points to the point where it's absurd it's like this you know the the girl who vomits uh poo ghosts gets hit in the neck with a dart she got a dart in her neck and oh you can't take that out and they gotta go dig up Merlin and then he takes it out and then he tells him to do that it's like why why is this happening why is any of this happening take up Excalibur I'm not gonna take up Excalibur but in 20 minutes into the movie I will take up Excalibur I'm not gonna do it right now but I'll do it in 20 minutes which then causes the apocalypse which (laughs) half of London gets murdered in violent, horrible ways. And I'm like, ah, way to go, Hellboy, I guess. And for uh, no reason at all do they get murdered. Because five minutes later, they all get sucked back into the trap. And it's like none of it ever happened except all those people are still dead. It just... it. <sighs> you know, you watch Hellboy 1. And there's such a concentrated effort 
to make you believe that there could be this super secret agency that gets away with protecting people from things they don't know they need protection from. And this movie totally takes that idea and takes a big dump on it because there's zero chance you could make anybody believe any of this isn't happening. When Hellboy shows up at your door, your baby turns out to be a little piglet and, (laughs) and then a fairy shows up. Well, to be fair, yeah, in the comics, Hellboy's there's not a the the masquerade. Hellboy yeah. is a known quantity as a paranormal detective. And it doesn't bother me that they they drop the whole, you know, oh there's a secret thing where mystical beings are re- really real and nobody knows about it, but they they also don't do anything with that here. Yeah, at all. So, have it one way or the other. Yeah. I it just not not a good movie, and it and it bums me out because I have a much better time talking to everybody about these things when it's you know a movie I really enjoy or something you have fun with. I just I, I didn't have fun here, and even when a movie is bad, but it, at least it's energetic and enthusiastic, you know you can still have a good time with it. Here I just couldn't. It was like oh we're so serious and look at all the blood and the guts we're going to put on screen and i'm like eh. it is a uh-huh. yeah it's a cheap effect and i think movies do that when they know that they're lacking in other areas yeah uh we'll come back i did find some trivia about this movie so we do have in am i full of shit or not and then we have a special segment brand new but pretty similar to one we've done before but new So we'll be right back. So we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. This is our second segment, Am I Full of Shit or Not? I've got some true or false about Hellboy, uh, the character and this film, and we'll see how Captain Cash does. Are you ready? No, I don't know a whole lot about this movie, but uh, let's let's dance. All right. So in mid-2012, Ron Perlman once again endured the four-hour makeup routine required to transform him into Hellboy. He was convinced by Del Toro to do so to try and convince the studio to greenlight Hellboy 3. True or false? I will say true. False. He did do oh. it, but he did it oh, to, okay. to fulfill the make-a-wish request of a six-year-old boy who had leukemia. Uh, now, Aww. the cool part of this story, now hopefully the kid uh, went on to have a healthy, uh, healthy and happy life. But the creep- You didn't look that up? I, I couldn't how find are, it. How are you going to drop that? Oh, man. The creep- you can't drop that on me. The Creature Effects House, uh, Spectral Motion, who had worked on the previous Hellboy films, then did the makeup to the kid as well, and they spent the day uh. hanging out as Hellboy. And I thought that was really cool. Now, that is pretty cool. That's a fun part of the story. Second fun part, this is what inspired Del Toro to then begin working on Hellboy 3. Of course, that never happened. Okay. So. Uh, sad. Yeah. Number two. On August 21st, 2017, Ed Screen, who you may remember from uh, as the Game of Thrones, more Deadpool. handsome Game of Thrones and the uh, really dry bad guy in Deadpool, 
was casted as Major Ben Daimio in the film. Oh. However, upon discovering that Daimyo was portrayed in the comic books as Japanese, American, he announced he was pulling out to allow an Asian actor to be cast instead. True or false? I actually, I know this one. This is true. Because the guy's name is fucking Daimyo. That's, that's literally Japanese for feudal lord. Yeah. And they, they thought they could get away with whitewashing the shit out of that. Because it makes him look more British, which, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, so kudos to Screen, and yeah, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Screen's decision to do this was the first time a white actor had left a high-profile role after criticism. Oh. So, good for them, and uh, Daniel Day Kim, who plays Daimyo, and he was on Lost and Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, he thought he did fine. He was uh, very complimentary of that decision uh, and very thankful to have been cast in the role. Movies may not work, but there's always good stories behind them. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because I remember back in, God, what would it have had to have been? 2014 or 2015 when Ed Screen or whatever, however you pronounce his last name, dipped out of Game of Thrones to go be the new transporter. I was like, this fucking idiot, what is he doing? And then he shows up in Deadpool and does this thing where he, he realizes, oh, shit, I don't want to be – I don't want to do whitewashing. And I'm kind of like, Ed, maybe not so bad after all. I will say the decision to leave Game of Thrones for Transporter 3, that one will haunt him. Or trans, not Transporter 3. There's actually three regular Transporters. Transporter Refueled or whatever dumb shit name they gave it. Transporter Driving Gloves. Yeah. Will it, though? Because Game of Thrones just did not stick the landing. Transporter 5, stick shift. Yeah, but he wasn't in the last season, so... Last two seasons, right? Transporter 5, the delivery boy. Yeah, yeah I, he wasn't in the last two seasons. They they dropped him after uh, season six, six. Yeah. Yeah, he went off to do whatever. Rule Marine or yeah. whatever, yeah. All right, number three. In January 2017, Guillermo del Toro held a Twitter poll for his followers to vote for production of Hellboy 3. True or false? The power of social media. That seems like something del Toro would do. True. True. I feel like I voted in that, actually. He probably did. (laughs) So after he received 100,000 votes, del Toro arranged a sit-down meeting with Ron Perlman and Mike Mignola to discuss furthering the development of the project. Ah, uh, what could have been? What could have been? Man, you feel bad because the Del Toro movies are good. And like Del Toro is a legitimately great director. He's a great director. You can tell he lo- he loves his monsters. Like I love Pacific Rim. Ooh, does that count as a flop? Because I know that it didn't do super good. But if we can do Pacific Rim, I'm super there for that. Uh, well, the second one's a flop for sure. I think the first one is, too. Uh, I didn't like the second one as much. The second one is, is bad. The first one's bad, too. The first one is amazing. The first one is amazing. It's amazingly it's amazingly bad. Listen, I, I can have a great time with Pacific Rim, and I don't need beers. The only good part about Pacific Rim is that it's a indirect Sons of Anarchy reunion between uh, Ron Perlman and Charlie Hunnam. That's the best part of the movie. Uh, the great thing, 
about Pacific Rim is it promised me giant robots fighting giant monsters and a giant robot using a fucking ship as a baseball bat, and I got that. Or, uh, or they could have just made just a giant baseball bat since they could make giant robots. But maybe that was too intelligent. Why do you need to make a giant baseball bat if you have a ship? Ships are fragile. Ships just lying around? You make a nice graphite giant bat. Doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be awesome. And it was. Anyway, what's the next one? All right. So, Ian McShane, who plays Professor Broom, has a great admiration for John Hurt. Rest in peace. Uh, John Hurt, we've discussed Kane from Alien, among many, many other roles. Yeah, I was going to say. He's also Oxley from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So there's a couple nerd references. Oh, yeah. Three times it drops. Also, Ollivander from the Harry Potter movies. Uh-huh. Yep. So John Hurt. Probably just the first Harry Potter movie. He, uh, who had, and I think he shows back up in the set, uh, in the later ones because Voldemort comes looking for the wand, doesn't he? Oh, uh, it's been a hot minute since I watched those movies. Okay, so, sidetrack, but... So John Hurt, who had played uh, Professor Broom in Del Toro's films. Sadly, the two never met before Hurt's passing in 2017. True or false? I'm going to say false. Hurt got around, and so did McShane. They had to have met at least once. Mm -hmm. Yep, false. They're actually uh, best friends. Uh, McShane and Hurt made their film debut in The Young and Willing in 1962, and remain friends the rest of their life. They worked together again in 44-inch chess in 2009 and Hercules in 2014, which McShane said was his favorite filming experience because he and John Hurt would have long, leisurely lunches together. <laughs> it's, it's such a wonderfully old man yeah, thing to say. It's a very... We had, we had very enjoyable two-hour lunches uh, between takes. Super you know. old Brit move leisurely lunches we had tea sometimes with little finger sandwiches it was very nice all right doug jones who played abe sapien in the del toro hellboy films was offered a cameo in this film i'll say yeah true that is true he was unable to participate due to commitments to star trek discovery good for you doug jones Staying the fuck away from this is probably the best thing you could do. Yep. It, there's nothing to be gained by him having a cameo, unless his cameo was as Abe Sapien. But, of course, they were clearly mm. planning a sequel, and he couldn't have been Abe Sapien again. Not without it being yeah. weird. Uh, he could have been Baba Yaga, maybe. I actually looked that up. It was it was a gentleman actor, which I was like, man, that's pretty good voice work. Well, I mean, did... Did the gentleman actor provide the voice work for Baba Yaga or just the physical? Maybe it was just the physical stuff. But man, that physical uh, stuff was intense. How does how do you pull that off? It was very puppeteerish. It really was. But no, I think the the deal was all, everything with Baba Yaga was a dude in a suit. Like the the actor could just do that kind of contortion uh, stuff. It was creepy, man. It was I did yeah. not like Baba Yaga. <laughs> No, understandably. Call John Wick. Help me. (laughs) Uh, After Marshall handed in his cut of the film, the producers then took over. He did nothing after that. He shot the film. That was it. After the film was done, he never had anything to do with it again. True or false? 
I want to say false because I feel like Neil Marshall is more professional than that, but I could also see him being super frustrated and just being like, fuck this, I did it. So I'm going to say false. Uh, so might have misspoke, so that might have misled you. Uh, he handed in his cut, so he did edit the movie. But when he handed oh, it in, okay. you know, he wasn't given any notes. That was it. He handed in that first okay. cut. That's it. So, and to that, I will say true. Yeah. Uh, Singer, who was uh, the producer, Lloyd Levin, who, when you read the article later on our Twitter, at Hops and B.O. Flops, he was one of the main antagonists. Because I'm going to call the producers the bad guy on this because I'm all for the director getting to execute his vision for a film, not some guy who sits there making snide comments, then taking the film and ruining it. He said Marshall was never promised final cut of the film. And that is wild. You know, as a director, you go into that thinking you're going to get to shoot it, edit it, get notes, go back to the drawing board. It's essentially, it's just like our situation on a previous episode, The 13th Warrior, where John McTiernan never had final cut. So this guy is giving away years of his life to then when this product is ready to hit the market, they're like, no, you know what? We don't like what you did, so we're just going to change the whole thing. We're just going to do our own thing. with. Thanks, though. Thanks for coming out. Thank you for living in the middle of nowhere for six months and (laughs) filming this incredibly arduous film. Now, I don't know Marshall's experience, but based on the article, it sounds miserable. Well, if the experience of shooting it was anything like the experience of watching it, I'm certain it was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got two more. And that's it. Uh, this movie All marks right. Daniel Day Kim's third time appearing in a movie based off a comic book series. True or false? I'm going to say true. Though I don't have any idea what the other two were. Now, so this, this will be a fun thing. Uh, I would like, if somebody can pick this out right away, and they know. I'm actually going to go back and look. But apparently he was in the Hulk. Ang Lee's Hulk in 2003. And he was also in Spider-Man 2. I could not tell you who he is in either of those movies. At this point, there are technically three Spider-Man 2s. Which Spider-Man 2 are we talking? Spider-Man 2, the best Spider-Man 2. Also the best Spider-Man movie. Far From Home? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like uh, Far From Home Obviously, it's one with Doc. Far From Home was great. There's it. There's a reason it made a billion dollars because it was legitimately fun. Listen, but no, uh, Transformers made a billion dollars. <laughs> so. That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that all movies that make a billion dollars deserve to. I'm just saying I understand. And here's your lesson uh, in false equivalence, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think who who would he have been in Spider-Man Two? Huh? I don't know. So here's my challenge because. I have no idea. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to look for them. I don't know if I'll find them because I don't know how big a role he had. You know, you could be in a movie and yeah. be walking through the background like Captain Cash in The Dark Knight Rises. I am in The Dark Knight Although Rises. You're, you're probably uncredited, but I think he's credited. Oh, wildly, wildly yeah. so. So, if you can find a screenshot of that, please tweet it at us, at Hops and B.O. Flops. I'd love to know where he is in those movies. Because I just, it's been a long time since I've watched 2003's Hulk. Full disclosure. Jeez. 
And the last one, in 2014, Hellboy creator Mike Mignola began work with writer Andrew Cosby on the story for a new film that was never intended to be associated with Del Toro's movies. We kind of tipped the hat on this one, so. Yeah, was that that's true, though, Tip right? Tipped the hand. It's false. Yeah. Oh, my bad. The true, the, the, the crux of this whole situation is they decided to do it. Hellboy 3, with all the principal players, but they told Del Toro, we just want you to be a producer. He declined. As soon as he declined, Perlman said, I'm out. Uh, and that's when they rebooted the whole thing. Why would you ever slight Del Toro? If he's like, hey, I want to direct this movie, why would you be like, no, no thanks? It's Yeah, he's one of the handful of directors where you're like, yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, it's between him, Jim Cameron, Steven Spielberg, I guess the Russo brothers at this point, where if they're like, yeah, I want to do this, you kind of go, yeah, all right, cool. Oh, certainly, I mean, you can earn your way into that. I'm going to get any project I want status. And I I guess maybe the first two Hellboys didn't uh, have him in that stratosphere, but, I mean, now he's won the Oscar for Best Director, so... Or best picture? Did he win director? Yeah. No, he didn't win director. Okay, so they won best or picture, but either way, I have to look that up. I can't remember, honestly. I, I feel like they slighted him on that, but he won for uh. Anyway, all right, I, I have a drinking game for okay. this. Okay, you have a drinking game for Hellboy. I have a drinking game for Hellboy 2019, and it is very simple. Anytime. Anyone experiences eye trauma, or there is lingering shots of eye trauma, drink. Don't do shots. You'll be dead within the first hour. Fair enough. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to do better or best. Similar to upgrade, downgrade, I'll explain when we get on the other side of the break. Okay, so we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. Again, this is our 25th episode, officially, because we do not count the con interlude, as much fun as that was. It's a quarter. And we're doing, uh, we doing better or best. Now, I say better or best because if there's two actors or actresses, it'd be who played the role better. And if there's three or more, it's obviously who played the role best. Now... Why is this like upgrade, downgrade? Because when we did Major League Two, we compared Wesley Snipes to Omar Epps, right? Who's the better Willie Mays Hayes? Was it an upgrade or downgrade when they replaced an actor in the same role in the same universe? Why is this better best? Because now it's who played the role better when they rebooted the movie or redid it with an entirely different cast of characters and people behind the scenes. So these are all comic book films because this is a comic book film. And I know I did not scratch the entire surface, not even close, of how many times this has happened. I left out things like The Joker for this iteration because we're going to do comic book movies again. So here we go. This will all culminate with Hellboy, and I think there's a clear answer to that one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right, so number one, The Hulk. Was it Eric Bana and Ang Lee's Hulk, a.k.a. the deep and reflective Hulk? Was it Edward Norton in The Incredible Hulk? 
aka the egomaniac that pissed off Marvel Hulk? <laughs> or, or was it Mark Ruffalo in literally everything else? And he's sidekick and later erectile dysfunction Hulk. Edie Hulk, and, and then Perfect Hulk, and then Perfect Hulk. Yeah. Professor Hulk. I gotta give it to Ruffalo. Just if for no other reason than the amount of fun Ruffalo has been able to bring to that particular character. And there's there was more than just, oh, you wouldn't like me if I'm angry. So gotta be Ruffalo. Not even a, not even a question there. Here's what I will say. It's Ruffalo. I agree. Uh, if I were to rank them in order, Ruffalo best, then Banna, then Norton. Now. One thing that Banna and Norton showed us is that the Hulk on his own is not a particularly marketable character. Those movies did Mm. pretty poorly comparatively if you stack them against other comic book movies. I think now if you put out a Ruffalo-centric Hulk, you probably have to set it somewhere in between everything we've seen because he's sort of become a comedic sidekick at this point. You'd have to really give him a human story. I think that movie, I don't think it makes a billion, but it makes $800 million. I'd watch a Joe Fixit Hulk movie at this point. Hey, I'd take that, yeah. Why not? And kind of a, a scummy Vegas strongman Hulk who, you know, wears Hulk sized leisure suits and does stuff for the mob and gambles and drinks and sleeps with hookers. I, yeah, man. I, I really could have. I would have loved if the universe existed where they did a, a real old man Logan and you had the Hulk who Ugh. was like living the in the wasteland. Yeah. That's a that's a choice you could make, I guess. Ugh. Old man Logan's great. Ugh. Uh, Eventually I think we're gonna I go back and forth on Millar. Half the time I think he's great, half the time I'm like, Yeah, what yeah. are you doing, man? I, I do think we're going to get to the point where we are doing Elseworlds, not just like with this Joker movie that's coming up. Like That'll be an entirely separate label for all these companies that are making comic book movies because you have to have movies that can just stand on their own and don't have to have the baggage of everything else that's happening. And you then, then you can do all these really crazy and interesting stories. Yeah, well, I mean... It'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see how Marvel plays with the whole multiverse thing. So we'll see how that shakes out. Always possible. All right, what's the next one? All right, here we go. Number two, Catwoman. Is it Lee Merriweather in Batman 66? Miss Kitka, the groovy Catwoman. Is it Holly Berry in Catwoman? It's the so bad, it's... uh, No, it's just flat out bad Catwoman. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say I I know who doesn't win this. Or is it go on? Or is it Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, aka the nine year old me thinks he's in love, Catwoman? <laughs> oh man. Uh, so I want to give it to Eartha Kit. No, Lee Merriweather, not Eartha Kit. They Wait, both. What? Yeah, Lee Merriweather played Catwoman in the movie. Eartha- yeah, no, I get that, but. Yeah. Can I can I give it to Eartha Kitt? Sure, you can. All right, I, I want to give skirting it. Skirting the rules, but she wasn't in a movie. Oh, side note, we're, oh, we're not doing I... TV universes because that creates a oh, whole okay. other okay. can of worms. Uh, all right, all right, fair enough. If I'm not allowed to give it to Eartha Kitt, I'm going to give it to Michelle Pfeiffer, who probably 
implanted some really weird bondage fetishes in me when I was 10 years old and saw that movie. I like Catwoman a lot, and I don't know why. I have confused feelings yeah. now. Uh, I would say Pfeiffer is the best. Uh, Lee yeah. Merriweather is the second. I have a very uh, special place in my heart for Batman of the 60s because that used to run on local networking when I was a kid, yeah. and I loved that show. I think that show was a masterful way to get Batman into the social consciousness. And yeah. it was and he was accessible. He was he was fun. He you know, he always you could always count on him. He was infallible. And yeah, it's really corny now, but there's a reason I love the Batman 66 comic book line that came out a few years back. Yeah. It's just fun to to have the Adam West Batman around. I do miss non-psychotic Batman. Yeah. Uh and of course Thanks a lot, Frank Miller. Holly Berry's dead last. And, to her yeah. credit, when she won the Razzie for that, she attended the ceremony. She so showed up for it, yeah. Like, yep. She has a good sense of humor. Got me. Got me, everybody. Here's a fun one. It's Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face. Is it Billy D. Williams? Oh, man. In Batman. I never got my damn chance. There wasn't even a coin flip, Two-Face. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever, the... I'm in a movie with Jim Carrey, and he's not the one who's being the most over the top. Or is it Aaron Eckhart <laughs> in The Dark Knight? And people would take me way more seriously if the Joker wasn't so fucking awesome in this. <laughs> uh, as much as I want to give it to Billy D, just out of principle, uh, he never actually got the chance to be Two-Face. He was just Harvey Dent for that one movie. And then they screwed him. Uh, so I'm going to give it to Aaron Eckhart. Because, god damn, like, even ten years on, The Dark Knight is still the best comic book movie. It's the best. It really is. It is the gold standard. Uh, again, I, as I said with King Kong, I watch King Kong every year. I watch The Dark Knight easily two times a year. It is such a good movie. and it's It a, is worth revisiting. It's a pick-up-and-watch movie. Where you can you can sit on the couch and it's on TNT and you're like oh yeah I'm gonna finish this or it's just oh, starting Dark Knight's on. I'm just gonna I'm gonna watch this whole thing exactly it's it's that good of a film it really is uh, so I agree I would say Eckhart uh, I will always li- I'll always lament Billy D not getting that chance I love Billy D Williams Hot, uh, Lando Calrissian is my favorite Star Wars character he deserved his shot. Give him the coin flip, WB. Bring him back. Bring back Billy D. They're still doing Gotham, right? That's still a show? No, it's not. Have they done Two-Face yet? Mercifully, no, not. that's not a show anymore. <laughs> I just Of the crazy crap you could do, a, a 70-year-old Harvey Dent, you know? Of all the things that happen on that show, he would be by far the most intriguing villain. I, I have not watched... I think I watched an episode of this show, and I went... Wait a minute, why am I watching a Batman show without Batman? I'm out. <laughs> well, he shows up at the end. <laughs> I think I watched like five like, episodes, and that was enough for me. Like Smallville. Ugh. I was never into Smallville. And you know I'm a huge Superman fan, but I was I could not get into that show. One, he was like 16 for 15 years. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous. He was, just, he was like coming into his own for 10 seasons of a show. 
He was 30 by the time he was Superman. Give me a break. Isn't that usually how it works, though? <laughs> well, he was millennial Superman. He didn't want to move out. Of, yeah. He didn't want to move out of the Kent's house until he was 30. Failure to launch Superman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that goes. Uh, yeah. Uh, All right. So last one, because I'm going to say up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's all right. All right. All right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going to save. All right, what's the last I'm going to save the last one for our Superman Returns episode, which is not the next episode, but the following. It's Batman. Is it Adam West, Batman 66, Nostalgia Batman? Michael Keaton, Batman, Batman Returns, the original rage casting Ooh. version of Batman. Because people were pissed about uh, Michael Keaton. He was Mr. Mom. Oh, primarily a comedian, yeah. Val Kilmer in Batman Forever, the I'm clearly phoning it in Batman. George Clooney in Batman and Robin, the if you thought Val was phoning it in, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> or Ben Affleck in BVS and Justice League watch me literally become the on-screen manifestation of Arkham Asylum for one movie and then watch me become a Weight Watchers commercial in another movie oh fat shaming Batman I mean I don't it, it, it's in poor taste but it's so it's so off-putting that he changes body shapes and skin tones in literally back-to-back cuts yeah Oof. And it's not like he's actually heavy. He's just heavier. He's not fat. Yeah. He's just no, heavier. No, that's fair. And he doesn't fit the uh, suit. That's a, that's a tough call. I. Uh, so I'm going to rake them all in order. All right, you do. You go. I'll see if I agree or disagree. Number one, Michael Keaton. He's my Batman. I was six years old when that movie came out. Uh, I love that movie. See, that... That feels like nostalgia, Batman. Go ahead. It is, yeah. There's a good bit of that that is nostalgia. And let's be honest here. The reason that movie stands the test of time is because of Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's Joker is awesome in completely different ways than Ledger's Joker is. But I would argue True. that he's just as awesome. He's really good in that movie. So he I'm going to go Keaton. Then I'm going down to Affleck. Because of the warehouse fight, and I think yeah. he's really good in BBS as dark. I'm at the end of my rope, Batman. Now I've got to, you know, because he's so depressing. I've got to pep it back up with Adam West, Batman. And then now we're just getting really sad and sliding down the hill of bad movies to Kilmer <laughs> and then to George Clooney. I, I I find it telling we didn't include Christian Bale. Oh shit! I forgot Bale. <laughs> All right, so I, he was he was after Affleck. So if I had so I I would mostly agree. He's the I need a lozenge Batman. I feel like Keaton is Batman Prime. Then give it to I need a lozenge Batman. Okay. In Christian Bale, based solely on the strength of the movies he's in. Rises wasn't that great. Uh, but Dark Knight, like we said, is still the gold standard for superhero films. And Batman Begins is still pretty good. It's still watchable. Oh, Batman Begins is awesome. Yeah. Then then I got to give it to the Bright Knight, uh, Adam West. Then I give it to, to Batfleck. Then Kilmer, then Clooney. That's fair. 
Now, so, yeah, all right. To me, Kilmer and Clooney are almost interchangeable because both those movies are. They're just terrible movies. They hold no, no like nostalgia or special place for me. After being a kid who was taken to see Batman and then Batman Returns, in relatively close to the opening, and yeah. being like sold on that, and you know those were rebooted because they were too dark for children. Uh, I found that movie to be offensively stupid. The Penguin does try to murder all the firstborn children. That's that's pretty brutal. He's creepy. I don't know. I, he is creepy. Yeah, I like Forever. No, you, no, you don't. Forever, well. Watch it again. I liked Forever. I haven't watched Forever in, it is, God, 20 years. Forever is one of the all-time cases of great soundtrack dog shit movie. Kiss from a Rose will take you pretty far, though. Kiss from a Rose will take you very far. But not not far enough to make your movie good. Alright. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, just do some recommendations, and then we'll wrap up uh, our Hellboy episode. We'll be right back. So we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. We're going to give you our recommendations. Spoiler, my recommendation is going to be very similar to our comic-con episode so i recommend the boys you gotta watch the boys even if you didn't read the comic it actually might make you want to read the comic and then you'll read the comic and be like no the show's dark but this is way too dark yeah it's a i'm really having a good time with this show and it's one of those things where i feel like i haven't cycled through a show this quickly since probably stranger things season one where i'm just like the credits roll and i'm booting it up yeah, it's good. I'm I'm on. We're five episodes. I think we're in the same we're place. The we're same five place, episodes yeah. in. It just came out today, so we're recording this on the the 26th. If you haven't checked it out, it's good. We we got to see the premiere, whatever it was, about a week ago in San Diego. It's it is absolutely worth your time. It's a good show, at least so far. And to your point, if you do go investigate the books, books are a little bit darker. Books are a little bit more everyone's a complete asshole um i kind of like how in the the series even the the bad guys and all of them are bad guys still have humanizing moments even when they're being bad so it's it's really it's it's definitely worth your time the books are essentially when dante enters the first ring of hell (laughs) just just prepare yourself garth ennis wrote those books and if you know anything about garth ennis or particularly Preacher, he wrote the boys to out-preacher Preacher. Those are his words. Preacher has characters in it named Ass Face and Cock Gun, and it's just, whew, and the boys is worse. <laughs> so Yeah, and I didn't, I read Preacher, and I didn't particularly like it. Uh, and I, yeah, the boys is tougher. But the show yeah. I like. But the show is great, yeah. The excellent performances. There's really high production value. I mean, very high. Really, and I got uh, watching it is sort of what made me think, oh boy, Hellboy should have been eight episodes if they were going to do all these things, and uh, it would have worked so much better. And I think people are catching on to that concept of maybe we should just do a show of this and stretch it out. And it'll work better, and people can get invested. Because when you try and cram all that stuff into two hours, 
it just it, it's really tough. Yeah, it's really well. Tough. I mean, Marvel's all over that with what is it, WandaVision, yeah. Hawkeye, and Loki, and uh, what's the other one, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So yeah, maybe. I mean, at some point, I don't know when. At some point in the future, we're gonna be living in a entertainment universe where movies aren't just coming out in the theater, right? Right now, like, smaller movies are released day and date. You can stream them at your house. Or you can go to the theater. Yeah. At some point in time, Blockbuster's going to be released at your house. The blurred lines of where you're consuming these things, it's only going to get more murky. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, I think that's a good thing. Because for me, I mean, it's hard to get to the movies. So, And I'm sure it is for you as well. Yeah, when you got... Yeah, when you got kids, you got to be real specific about the movies you're checking out. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I'm going to take my wife to see a movie, it's generally one she probably is also going to enjoy. It's not something strictly I'm going to enjoy. The days of, hey, yeah. let's go see Expendables 2 are long over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so those are our recommendations. Yeah. Go check out The Boys. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free if you got if Amazon. If you got Amazon Prime, yeah. Check it out. Worth your time. Homelander. Special shout out. That guy is, he is crushing it as uber creepy guy. Yeah. He does psychotic really well. And Carl Urban is a lot of fun as Billy the Butcher. Until he's probably not fun anymore. I will say this. uh, There are comic book movies out there right now. Even Marvel. And we praise Marvel all the time. And they have a huge villain problem. Their villains could learn a lot from the way he is playing the Homelander. It's not so, like, corny, over-the-top, oh, Tony Stark didn't like my idea, now I'm super evil. It's it's just really good. Oh, you didn't look at me in the lunchroom, and now I'm going to destroy the world. He's, he's, super, he's super friggin' creepy. And I'm actually like, I don't hate this guy. I know I'm supposed to hate this guy. But I really want to see this guy more on the screen because he's that good. Yeah, wait. I mean, I think the guy who plays him is Tony Starr. Way to go, Tony Starr. Yes. Way to make a compelling, truly horrifying villain. So our recommendation was The Boys. You should watch it. It's a great show, at least so far. And uh, thank you for joining us on Hops and Box Office Flops. We'll be back. John Carter from Mars. See you next week. Technically, John Carter, because in the world of bad movie marketing, let's just call this movie John Carter. No explanation needed. <laughs> do, you, do you want to know what this movie is about? Yeah. John Carter? I mean, technically that is correct. No, it's, it's not a sequel to John Q. It's totally different. John Carter. Oh. Don't watch the trailer. You'll never know what this is about. And then after that, Superman Returns, and after that, Transformers, the animated movie, 1986, right? 86, all films we love. So, uh, some fun stuff coming up. We'll see you next time. See you then.